Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. My name is Ben and along with my wife, Anna, we are the associate pastors here at Elevation Church Hills. And I am excited for this morning. I'm always excited for Sunday, but I'm especially excited for this morning because it is my first time preaching this year. And I believe I have a word for us in this moment. So if you are a guest, Elevation, let's give our guests a huge welcome. Come on, we are so excited that you are here. You have joined us in the second week of our series, Move Again. The second week of our series, Move Again, where we're talking about and we're believing for God to move again. Now, we're not saying that He has stopped moving and He's like that lawnmower that we need to like, come on, go again. No, no, He is always moving. Our God is a God who is always on the move. But we believe that what He has done, He's able to do it again. He's done it before, so He can do it again. So God, move again. And He wants to be so intimately involved in your life that David asks in Psalm 139, God, where can I go from your presence? Into the mountains, you are there. Into the valleys, you are there. There is nowhere that you are able to run from our God because He wants to be intimately involved in your life. That is who our God is. And David also says in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and He heard and He answered. That is who our God is. And because He answers, we can trust Him. He is a God that He is worth trusting. And that is who we believe our God to be this morning. But with this series, Move Again, it is alongside our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Who has been enjoying fasting? One, two, three, four. I don't know if you're meant to enjoy fasting. Because I, amen, there we go. See, John Gear says amen. Done. So, but it's really funny. Last week we had uh, Pastor Gary down and he opened uh, this series, Move Again. But then on the Monday, he did a PD with some of our staff, our ministry leaders. And Miles mentioned last week that some staff have decided to uh, fast coffee and some staff have not. Either or, what have you. But it was really funny on the Monday, just watching the staff gradually decline <laughs> the whole day, every hour. And it was like about 2.30, Gary was like, all right, <laughs> let's, let's, let's end it here. I'll come back in a couple of weeks. I was asleep by 8.30 that night. I have two kids and I don't think I've been in bed that early in years. I was out of it. But... This uh, prayer and fasting, remember, it is prayer and fasting, not prayer and or fasting. Or if you are fasting but not praying, you're just really hoping for that summer bod that it's February, you missed out. All right? It's prayer and fasting. But we've been asking two questions in leading up to this time. Question number one, what are you fasting from? Daniel fast, full fast, liquid fast, social media fast. I've had a lot of people ask me, is that a real fast? It is a real fast, but we can talk about that later. Uh, a lot of people have been asking, um, yeah, so what are we fasting from? So that's the first question you have to answer. If you don't know what you're going to fast from, you're just not going to fast. Because you're going to start it and be like, oh, what am I not doing today? 
And he's like, oh, sorry, I'll work it out tomorrow. I'll work it out tomorrow. I'll work it out tomorrow. And then it gets the all 21 days. And you're like, ah, oh, I just missed it. Um, but you got to know what are you fasting from? Second question though, which is just as important as the first, what are you fasting for? What are you fasting for? What are you, what are you believing God for in these 21 days of prayer and fasting? Now, there's four main uh, reasons, as I see in the Bible, why, why people fast. The first one is lamentation. So that's prayer as sorrow or grief. The second one is expectation. Number three is desperation. And number four is impartation. Now, Miles last week said, I'm going to go through the Greek and the Hebrew, but I decided to go through the Latin. So just a quick Latin. If you actually take the N off of every one of those words, except for impartation, but if you take the N off lamentation, to make it lamentatio, expectatio, desperatio, you then can speak Latin. You're welcome. You can now all speak Latin. Anyway, those are the, they're not the Latin words, they are the English words. But these are the four main reasons why I see in the Bible people fast. But today, we're going to talk about the two in particular, expectation and desperation. Well, I see this time and time again in the Old, Old Testament where people are desperate for God to move again. They're expecting that God will move again. They need, they don't want, they need a move of God in their life or in their city. So we see this uh, in Esther where uh, the, the Jews, they've been exiled into Babylon and they're in exile for 70 years. And towards the end of the 70 years, uh, this, uh, this girl, Esther, she's born, she's raised. She's just a lowly, exiled Jewish girl. But her uncle Mordecai is somewhat, not really, but somewhat close to the king. And the king is looking for a wife, right? What a TV show. The king is looking for a wife. Uh, how many... Never mind, I'm going to keep going. Um, <laughs> But, so he's looking for a wife, he's looking for a bride, but he's looking for a queen. He's looking for a queen. So Mordecai gets Esther into the pool of girls that are being chosen from, and then eventually Esther is chosen to be the queen of this nation. 127 provinces that is expanding from India all the way through to Ethiopia. That's a large plot of land to be queen of. This lowly, exiled Jewish girl has now become queen of this massive nation. And then there's this other guy who is one of the king's advisors, uh, Haman, and he hates the Jews. He wants them exterminated. He doesn't want them anymore. So he puts an edict out or a ruling out that on a particular day in a couple of months that you're allowed to kill any Jew without consequence. There's one day you can just kill as many Jews as you want. You're all good to go. Mordecai hears of this plan. He then goes to Esther and he's pleading with her, go talk to your husband, go talk to the king. This needs to stop. But Esther's afraid because it is actually illegal for her to go into the presence of the king without him asking her to. And she's like, I can't. If I go in there and he doesn't want me, he can get rid of me. He can kill me. I can't do this. But they go back and forth for a little bit. And then in verse 14, we have one of the most famous questions in the Bible. And who knows? 
whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe God has placed you as queen to save a nation. Maybe you were born right now to save the Jews, to save the line of Jesus. Maybe that's why God has placed you. And then she replies in verse 16, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther has decided to go and speak to the king. But she knows that if she just walks in there with her own strength, she will probably die. She needs God to move. She needs God to show up. She needs God to speak to the king and and soften his heart. So she fasts. She fasts for three days. Her women fast. All of the Jews in Susa fast. They're all fasting because they're expectant for God to move. They're desperate for God to move. He needs to move or the entirety of the Jews will be wiped out. He needs them to move. So they fast. And at the end of the three days, she goes into the presence of the king and he invites her in. And long story short, he hears what's going on. He gets angry and he flips it upside down. Mordecai then becomes the advisor of the king and he wipes out that ruling uh, that the Jews were going to be killed. And then the king being so angry, he then punishes Haman and kills him. All because Esther decided to seek God first and nation was saved. Because he just, but she said, I need, to, I need to know that God is my strength. God is my refuge. God is my rock. A nation was saved. And we also see this in Ezra. So Ezra and Nehemiah, after the exile, they were coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple. But before they go, Ezra says, stop, we need to fast. Now, if you're about to go on a really long walk, I suggest you eat something. But Ezra was like, no, God's my strength and we're expecting He's going to show up. He's going to, sa- he's going to save us. He's going to protect us. He's going to take us back to Jerusalem and we're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to rebuild the temple for His glory. And he says in verse 23, so we fasted and implored our God for this. It wasn't just a good idea. They fasted for this. They fasted for something. They fasted for his protection. And he listened. He listened to their entreaty. He listened. They fasted. They sought the Lord. They implored him and he listened. Because of their fast, God protected them. God took them back to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the wall, rebuilt the temple. And well, the rest is history. But it's all because of their fast. And we also see this in the book of Daniel. So Daniel 1 is where we get the Daniel fast from. So this is at the start of the exile when all of the Jews were brought into Babylon. And uh, Daniel and some of the other uh, young men, the good-looking young men, are brought into the king's circle to be taught in the ways of Babylon. But a part of that means that they have to eat from the king's table. And the food on the king's table was food that as Jews, they were not allowed to eat. If they ate it, they would get uh, what's called unclean and they would have to do all of these purification rituals, right? So instead of just succumbing to what the world was telling them, they said, no, instead of eating, we're going to fast. 
We're going to fast and we're going to believe because we know our God is our strength. Our God is our protection. Our God is going to show up. They were desperate for God to move. So Daniel and the other Jews, they fasted. And at the end of 10 days, the king actually saw that the Jews were looking healthier than the other other men that were eating off the king's table. So again, everything was flipped and Daniel becomes a close advisor to the king, all because he sought the Lord, all because he fasted for something. And we see in Daniel 9.23, another time where Daniel fasts. Uh, Sorry, 9 verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Ezra, Esther, Daniel, they didn't fast because it was a good idea. They fasted for a reason. They were fasting for something. They were desperate for God to move. They were expecting God to move. They were believing God to move. So church, what are you desperate for? What are you expecting God for over these 21 days? What are you believing God is going to do in your life over these next 21 days or now 14 days of prayer and fasting? At Elevation, we have four main things that we are believing for uh, over the church. The first one is we are believing that God is going to move again in our hearts. Number two, He's going to move again in our situations. Number three, He's going to move again in our church. And number four, He's going to move again in our city. And for me, I've taken each one of these and I've chosen something that fits within these categories and that is what I'm believing for. The first two are personal, so I'm going to keep them. But the second two, in this church, what I am believing for, I'm believing for salvations this year. In this church, I'm saying it from stage, I believe that we're going to see more salvations this year than we have ever seen before. That is what I'm believing for. Come on, church. Do you have faith? Are you desperate for that? And in our city, I'm believing for revival. I'm believing for revival greater than the world has ever seen. That is what we are believing for. So if you have started fasting or not yet fasted and you, and you don't know what to fast for, take a photo of this. Take a photo of this or write this down and just choose one of them. Go through all four of them. Choose something to fast for. Choose something to believe for. And we've actually even set our weeks up over our prayer and fasting to kind of correlate with this. So the first two weeks, move again in our hearts, move again in our situations. And then at the uh, next Sunday, we have our anointing service. And at our anointing service, we want to pray for, we want to anoint each and every one of you and your families. And what will happen is there, was an, there is an impartation. So that's what I talked about before. One of the reasons we fast is for impartation. So that is happening next Sunday when we anoint you, when, we, when our prayer team and our pastors and our leaders pray over you, you'll be anointed to be set out on your way into the world. And then the next week, our last week of prayer and fasting, we are going hard. We are believing for God to move in this church and we are believing for God to move in this city. Because on Monday, we have our monthly prayer night. Then on that Saturday, the 24th, we have our elevation-wide prayer night. It's on Zoom and it's here in the room. They're all of six locations are coming together and believing for God to move in the church. And then on the Sunday, on the 25th, we have our INC Sydney-wide revival night because we are believing for revival. Our denomination, our mission statement is Australia for Christ. That is it. 
That is what we're believing for. We believe that people are going to come to know Christ. That is what we are believing for. But how? How do we get desperate? How do we believe for these things? How can we even pray for these things? How do we build or increase our faith to believe for more? How do we do this? In Romans 10, 17, which Anna said before, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. When we read our Bible, it increases our faith because we can see who our Jesus is. And we go, if that is who our Jesus is, I know He can do it again. But it's also testimonies, stories of His faithfulness, stories of His goodness, stories of things that He has done in the past that we can say, you've done it before, so do it again. That is how we increase and build our faith. And that's why we sing songs like Great Awakening. Who enjoyed our new song, Great Awakening? Um, uh, it's, it's Great Awakening. It's by our Elevation Church Australia's worship ministry called Southland. And if you're unsure why we chose the name Southland, it's not because of that 80s Aussie rock song, which I won't sing. But what, 400 years ago, when a Spanish explorer laid eyes on Australia on Pentecost Sunday, he said these five words, La Australia del Espíritu Santo, which translates as the Southland of the Holy Spirit. He was saying, this is the Southland of the Holy Spirit. This is the land which the Holy Spirit will reside on. And that is what we're believing for. We believe that this is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And He will pour out His presence and His Spirit on this great Southland again. So even our name is wrapped up in this idea of revival. But in the song Great Awakening, we sing of three uh, times in history where people have uh, desperately sought God and God has showed up. In verse 1, it says, I've got faith for revival all across this land like you did in the upper room. Let your spirit loose. The upper room, the story of the upper room can be found in Acts 2 when after Jesus' ascension back to heaven, 120 of His disciples went into a room and locked themselves in. And they just prayed and they sought God and they were waiting for Him to show up. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. They were waiting on God to move again. And then on the day of Pentecost, when they were all together, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire filled the room and it got rowdy because God showed up. And then Peter, he stands up and he says one of the most famous messages in the book of Acts and he goes, this is that. If you are confused about what happens, this is what Joel prophesied about hundreds of years ago, that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And we prayed and we believed and it happened. God showed up. And then at the end of this message, it says in verse 41, that on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. In one day, 3,000 souls. Come on, church. Have you got faith for revival? Have you got faith to see that in our day? 3,000 souls one day. And then in the second verse, it says, I've got faith to see miracles, setting captives free, because that is who our God is. 
In Luke 4, Jesus says, I am anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bring sight back to the blind and to, br- and to set captives free. I forgot it. But he's, that's who He is. That is who our Jesus is. He has the power and He wants to set captives free like you did on Azusa Street. And Azusa Street is literally a street in LA, California, where in 1906, William Seymour and a few of his friends gathered and they prayed and they sought God because they wanted to see revival. They wanted to see God move again. And they prayed and they had prayer meetings day after day, move again, God, move again, God, move again, God. And what I love about this story is At the start, William Seymour wasn't even baptised in the Holy Spirit. He had just read the Word and said, God, if that's who you are, do it again. If you can do it in the upper room, you can do it on Azusa Street. So God, do it again. And then, baptised in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell and filled them and thus started the Azusa Street Revival. And hundreds of people made their way through this little church in California. And it started what we now know as the modern Pentecostal church, the church that you and I are in right now, all because one man and a few friends believed God to move again. And then in the last verse, it says, I've got faith for salvations. Come on. There is a hurting and broken world out there and they need Jesus. They need Christ. They need His salvation. Have you got faith to see salvations this year? In this great Southland, like you've done throughout history, history, we pray for a great awakening. The great awakening happened over three centuries from the 1700s through to the 1900s, three times. But the first great awakening in 1730, 1740 uh, was led by George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And they were preaching in just farms, open paddocks. And at the height of the great awakening, they were preaching to 30,000 people. At one, I don't, they didn't have a PA back then. I don't know how they did it or if even the people, or if they had like people every like 5,000 and they were just repeating the message. Anyway, but that's what 30,000 people. And as it dwindled around 1740, they believed that up to 50,000 new converts were added to the church of New England. Now that might not sound like a lot, 50,000. Yeah, okay. But in New England, the six colonies of New England at the time, there was only 300,000 people living there. 17% of the population. And that doesn't include people who were already Christians. That does not include people who were a part of the church but renewing their faith. These were new converts. And to put that into context, in Sydney, that's 850,000 new Christians. So when we sing, we are praying for a great awakening, That's what we're talking about. That's what we're singing for. 850,000 new converts into the church today. Come on. And this shouldn't stir up nostalgia for the past, but it should drive us to the future with expectation. Saying, God, you've done it before. You can do it again. You did it in the upper room, so do it in Elevation Church Hills. You did it on Azusa Street, so do it on Hoyle Ave. You did it in New England, so come on church, do it in Sydney. God, do it in Sydney. Do it again. We need to get desperate for these things. And it's not our will for salvations, it's God's. It's not our will that people come to know Him. It's Him. It is Him who sent His Son. It is Him who loves the world that He sent His Son to die for you and I.
So this year, church, we, we are contending for more. We are contending for more because that is who our God is. Our verse for the year is Ephesians 3.20. Now to God who is able to do more, not can do more or could do more. He is able to do more. That is who our God is. So church, this year, would you partner with us to believe for more? Would you expect more with us? Would you partner with us to fast for more, to be desperate for more? More of God, more of His power, more encounters, more salvations, more souls, more breakthroughs, more miracles, more. We are contending for more this year. But just let me, so, so what are you desperate for? What are you believing for? What are you expecting for? What is your more? But I need to be clear. Fasting does not twist God's arm. Fasting is not something we do to work towards receiving. Because in James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every perfect gift. So if all good gifts or all good things are gifts, we can't work for them. We can't, they're not a reward, they're a gift. If revival is a gift, if your salvation is a gift, if your miracle, if your breakthrough is a gift, you can't work for it. So why then do we fast for things? Why do we fast for things if we don't work for them? We do not receive through prayer and fasting. However, things are released through prayer and fasting. We don't receive, things are released through prayer and fasting. And just two really quick thoughts, and I promise they're going to be quick. Number one, physical hunger leads to spiritual hunger. And number two, spiritual hunger leads to supernatural power. So physical hunger, spiritual hunger, supernatural power. I have this mate who, he's from Uruguay, and he cooks amazingly. So and about 10 years ago, he said, hey, come, come over for a barbecue. It's going to be awesome. Come over for a barbecue. I'm going to uh, cook any, any South Americans in the house. We had asado. It was amazing. It was, it was the best meat I've ever had. But I rocked up when he told me to. I rocked up at the time that he told me to, and I was like, where's the meat? And he goes, oh, I haven't started cooking. Actually, I haven't even built the barbecue yet. I was like, hold on a sec. You told me to come for this barbecue at this time. I'm here and you haven't even built the barbecue? Has anyone been to a party like that? Where you say, come with this guy, see some hands. Some people are like, oh, they're actually sitting next to me. But so like you, you, they say, come at five o'clock for dinner and you rock up and they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to start cooking. So you haven't eaten all day. You've waited for this food. So instead of waiting more for the meal, you just start, decide to fill up on snacks, fill up on chips, fill up on the hummus and the crackers and whatever have you, just all the snacks because you're starving, right? You need something. But then by the time, because honestly, for this party, it was like nine o'clock before I had meat. Anyway, but by the time the food comes out, by the time the main meal comes out, you're full and you can't enjoy the meal or you don't even have room to eat the meal. The same goes in the spiritual. 
When we fill ourselves up on things of this world, pleasures of this world, we then dilute, we reduce our, uh, our ability to hunger for the things of God. So when we, when we physically fast, we then can drive ourselves to uh, stirring up our spiritual hunger. When we want that, that packet of chips, when we want that whatever it may be, we say no and we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me. I don't need that food. I just need you. Or if you're on your phone and you're about to open Instagram, you, you switch over to the Bible app and you spend your time in the Word. Or when it could just be easier to put Netflix up on the screen, you go into your room and you pray. You spend time with Jesus. Our physical hunger should lead us to spiritual hunger. And then when our spiritual hunger is risen within us, then flows out supernatural power. Because prayer and fasting increases our capacity for and access to the power of God. Fasting doesn't change God's mind, it changes yours. Fasting doesn't change the will of God, it changes our will. It doesn't change who He is, it changes who we are. That is what fasting is. And when we come to align ourselves with Jesus, when we come into alignment with who God has called us to be, that's where the supernatural happens. When we physically hunger, we'll drive to spiritual hunger, which will then release supernatural power because we have aligned ourselves with who Jesus is. So if you have started fasting, but you don't have a four, choose one of the four. Move again in our hearts, move again in our situations, move again in our church, move again in our city. Can we just get that up on the screen behind me? Take a photo, choose one of these things. Or if you haven't even started fasting yet, I encourage you to choose something. Choose something to believe for. Choose something to fast from. Because our God is a God who is more than able. He is more than able. That is who He is. So choose one of these and and just fast over. And if you are new to fasting, if you don't know anything about fasting, please come and see us at the Welcome Lounge after the service because we'd love to get some resources into your hand to be able to equip you to be able to fast and believe for more. So church, we're about to sing this song, Great Awakening, again because I believe that this is what we are going to see this year. I want us to stir our faith, to increase our faith, to be able to believe for more. So let's be upstanding as we are about to sing this song. But before we sing, I always want to give an opportunity. If you have not started a relationship with this Jesus or this God that I'm talking about, the God who is more than able, a God who is desperately wanting to be involved in your life, who sent His Son to die for you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't know this Jesus, this Jesus, He came, He put on flesh, He then died to save you from your sins, to save you from an eternity without Him. Because of His salvation and our acceptance of His salvation, we are then able to come into relationship with God, with the Father, and have eternal life. That's what it says in John 3.16. And you might be thinking, but God doesn't care about me. If you were the only person on earth, God would still send His Son to die for you. If you were the only person on earth, God would still send His Son to die for you because that's how much He cares for you. That's how much He cares for you. So with eyes closed, if that's you, 
If you don't know this Jesus, but you want to know this Jesus, if you want to come into an encounter with this Jesus, to start a life with Him, I just ask you right now to boldly raise your hand. It's just me and a couple of the team looking around because we want to partner with you. We want to help you on this journey. So if that's you, I just encourage you to raise your hand high so I know who we're praying with. Just a couple more moments. Lord, I just pray over every single person here. I pray that you fill them with a desperation for more, that you fill them with an expectation for more. Because God, that is who you are. You are a God of more. You are a God that is able. So we just lift this song up to you. We pray that our faith is stirred, that our faith is increased in this song because we want to see revival. Amen.